Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Liverpool's top four hopes suffered a big blow on another mad night at the GTEC Community Stadium. So today, we'll take a closer look at the uncertainty surrounding Jurgen Klopp's team both on and off the field, how Cody Gagpo might help and where Klopp still needs to spend some of that so-called monopoly money this month. We might have a word for Brentford too. I'm Ian Irving and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. Canate's gone down and Berger puts it in. Liverpool wants a foul. An injury? Mm, I'm not entirely sure that a bida devoid of pace, confidence, and also his positional sense seems off. The third goal has nothing to do with anything else. It's just a foul. Come on. I just still can't quite get my head around the fact that just before the World Cup, before that Man City game, Brentford were knocked out of the Carabao Cup by Gillingham. Right, welcome along. Um, Jay Harris is with us. He was there last night for the Athletic. And I guess you've been partying like it was 1938 ever since, Jay, aren't you? <laughs> um, the build-up to the game was obviously dominated about Ivan Tony and whether he was going to play or not. Um, when he was stretched off against West Ham, I think the initial fear was that he might be out for a few months. Then all of a sudden, Thomas Frank teases that there was a chance he could play against Liverpool. Turns out he, he wasn't fit enough. So I think from a Brentford perspective... You're missing your your star player who caused Liverpool quite a few problems in the three-all draw at the GTEC last season. I think Brentford would have been grateful for a point at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Especially in the first 10 minutes, actually, I think Liverpool started pretty well. And then Brentford just seemed to to take control. I don't think Liverpool caused them that many problems. Um, Visser and Mbumo are both guilty of being a little bit inconsistent at times. Mbumo, especially in front of goal. But they just turned the magic on last night. Visser in particular, I mean, he's really unlucky to, to have only scored one goal because, I mean, he obviously had two goals disallowed um, and the, the chest and volley finish was magnificent. But I think to a man, Brentford were, were exceptional. This is a team that even missing Tony, they're missing Christopher Ayer, who's one of their best defenders. They're missing Aaron Hickey, who's their first choice right back. They're missing Pontus Janssen, their captain. Um, so several role players kind of stood up to the test and, um, and really showed their worth and have done recently. Special credit to Zanka, who got booked in the first minute for a really clumsy challenge on Darwin Nunez and then was just phenomenal for the rest of the game. Um, so, yeah, the party was going was going very strong last night. <laughs> Tony Evans is also with us. Tony, you've been very patient there, just listening to Jay <laughs> and all his encouragement from last night and all the celebratory words as well. You've It's like therapy for you today as well because you've just recorded the brand new Athletic Liverpool podcast, Walk On, as well. Um what a way to start a new podcast, talking about that last night, eh? 
Yeah, I was going to call it Stumble Over. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, to be honest, they were very pedestrian, so it does work that way, you know. It's, um, Walking, yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's, uh, they were awful. They were awful in every department. They made bad choices. And the thing that got me, most of all, was escaping, you know, a disallowed goal. And then you immediately concede afterwards the sheer stupidity of it all. You know, at a point where... and. I go to Brentford quite a lot. It's it's a little tiny stadium, but when it's on, the atmosphere rocks there. The crowds are going crazy. Brentford are all over you. They're bullying you physically. It's time to kill the game. Not not try a, a, a dangerous pass out from the goalkeeper. Not step over the ball in midfield. It's a, you're just inviting them in and, and going behind yet, yet again. I mean, it's the 10th time in 17 matches, isn't it? And yet... They seem to have forgotten everything that's great about them. Mentality monsters? I don't think so. No, they didn't look like it last night, certainly. The the bewildering thing as well, Tony, was the fact that they've had their issues this season. Um, And I sort of thought from the outside that going away during the World Cup, whether that's forgetting the problems that they have, whether that's working on the problems that they had and trying to find solutions, I thought that Liverpool would come back stronger at this point. Yes, okay, the the two victories that they've had um, after the restart in the Premier League have not been convincing by any stretch, but that last night is as bad as anything Liverpool have delivered under Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I thought the go away during the World Cup break and look at, at look at a different approach to the game because everyone's worked out. If you stop the wing backs, then you stop a lot of Liverpool's thrust. So they need to find a different point of attack from the midfield. And you think to yourself, you've got a passer like Thiago. And in, in all his games for Liverpool, he's only got four assists. Everyone raves about him all the time. But it's all side to side. But Jürgen keeps saying the same things. We just need to do what we've always done better. We need to get back to how we were doing it at our best. The problem is everyone else knows what Liverpool do at the best. And they're trying to stop it. So you've got to do something different. And, well, they did something different last night. They capitulated. Thomas Frank as well, Jay, just showed that there is a way to get at Liverpool. You know, he was quite open in his comments about it as well. His approach was clear watching the game as well. It was very obvious how Brentford were trying to target Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's what impressed me so much about it. Um, when they drew three all with Liverpool in last season, the kind of aim was to hit the ball long for Tony and for him to flick it on for Brian and Bumo to run onto. But with no Tony, you kind of lose that physical presence and they kind of had to switch it up slightly and it just seemed like they were kind of targeting the channel between um, Van Dijk and Simicast um, because Mbumo and Visser were kind of getting down there so often in the first half um, but then obviously Brentford are really good at set pieces as well and they just did it perfectly um, they over- stretch the rules Jay you mean don't you not perfectly it's quite funny because I overheard someone last night basically saying that Brentford should just take normal set pieces more often um, and stop kind of like messing around. Brentford have, have quite a lot of unique creative corner routines. I couldn't help but chuckle because you don't, you can't have one without the other. The reason why Brentford are so good at corner routines is because of that unpredictability. You don't know if they're mm. going to try and go short. You don't know if they're going to hit it towards the back post or if they're just going to deliver an in-swinger. And um, I mean, the stretch in the rules comment from from Klopp, I think was was a little bit poor because as Thomas Frank said afterwards, you've got, four officials on the pitch you've got a VAR room if there really was that much skullduggery going on as was kind of being suggested then surely surely it would get <laughs> picked way. up picked up right 
Um, it's just Brentford being clever. But yeah, going back to what you said, I think Thomas Frank's game plan against a lot of the big six sides, Brentford have a pretty good record against big six sides. Um, I think they've beaten all of the big six sides since they got promoted, apart from Tottenham now. Obviously, had a 4-0 beat Man United, 2-1 against Man City. Just thought I'd throw those two in there. Thanks, um, and And they've added Liverpool to that list now. And it's just because they, they work out areas of weaknesses. And um, fair credit to, to Thomas Frank and Brentford every single time. Yeah, just on Klopp's uh, comments after the game. I don't expect that there is anything in our favour. I just think a foul is a foul. Holding is holding and um, pushing is pushing. And uh, there's a, a, a few things you are allowed and other things are not allowed. And if, um, But there's a reason why they are so successful with offensive set pieces and still concede a lot of defensive goals around set pieces because there you cannot do the same stuff because in your own box it would be a penalty. There's two aspects to this. First of all, this is not something new for Brentford, so surely Liverpool should have been prepared for it and prepared for the the chaos and the stretching of rules. But secondly, surely it's just a deflection tactic from Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? I mean, you look across the media coverage today, whether it's on The Athletic or elsewhere, there's a lot of coverage about the set-piece issues and what Brentford were up to. Really, is that just protecting him from a proper scrutiny of his management and the way Liverpool played in the game? Yeah, I mean, stretching the rules, stretching the truth. The reality is <laughs> Brentford did it really well. They did what they do really well. And when your team's been bullied, you probably don't want to come out and castigate them in public. But that's the reality of it. They let Brentford's physicality, which was certainly, I didn't see anything to object to. They let Brentford's physicality knock them off the strides. And, and to be honest, I don't think the stride's very good anyway at the moment. But well, you know what managers are like. All managers, especially after games, they're all a little bit. How should we put it without being too cruel? They're all a little bit mad, especially when they've lost. You know, they've, they they lose the plot slightly. I think in the cold light of morning, I hope that Klopp is looking at the footage of it and realizing that there are, you know, there are things that his team can do to counter sides like Brentford's. You can't just take a step back like Liverpool did last night. Okay, let's get a deeper analysis then on the exact tactics that helped Brentford to beat Liverpool last night. Here's the Athletics data analytics writer, Mark Carey. I think it's obvious where Liverpool struggled within the game yesterday. Um, They failed to deal with crosses and, and set pieces convincingly at all, despite so many warnings, especially within that first half where Brentford could have had a lot more, but for a few decisions going against them, um, I think one thing that that caught my attention after the game especially was just how much Thomas Frank said that he wanted to go in behind Liverpool and and play behind that that high line and we know that Liverpool's high line has been you know around for for quite a while now but I think what was once their strength has kind of now become their weakness and that's that ability to be devastating within the transition so winning the ball back quickly and attacking with speed and with purpose and I think they're doing it less from an attacking perspective but I also think that teams are now punishing them more than ever within those transitional periods and looking at the numbers Liverpool have already conceded more goals via direct attacks so that's possessions that start in the opponent's defensive half and and result in a shot within 15 seconds of recovering the ball. Liverpool have already conceded more goals via direct attacks this season than the whole of last season so it shows just how much those teams are punishing them from a defensive perspective and we saw that with Brian Buemo's goal for for Brentford's third yesterday Um, just how much they could win it back and just instantly go for the throat against Liverpool who were quite open 
Um, so yes, they have their Liverpool have their struggles um, in terms of injuries. They've obviously got the forward line quite thin on the ground with Luis Diaz out, Roberto Firmino out, Diogo Jota. Obviously got Cody Gakpo um, having just arrived and hopefully will will add strength to the forward line. But I think they definitely need to be far more savvy when they lose the ball, and that comes from the midfield and the forward line as much as it does um, from the defensive line as well. So yeah, plenty to work on from Liverpool's perspective. Yeah, some really interesting detail from Mark on that, and I'm sure there'll be more on The Athletic over the coming days about the issues facing Liverpool. But one of the big problems, Tony, this season is Virgil van Dijk, isn't it? What on earth has happened to his form? Yeah, well, he's not really ever come back the same way after the injury sustained at Goodison um, a couple of years ago. And he certainly, he looks to have lost a bit of his pace. But even more disturbing... His organisational skills, which were a revelation when he first came to Anfield, you know, he he, he bossed that defence. He made sure everyone was in the positions they were. They seem to be failing as well. He's um he seems to have lost direction and a bit of confidence. And I wasn't surprised when he come off at half time. You could have taken mm. a you could have taken a dozen of them off. Really, <laughs> there's only eleven in the team, but yeah. Um, but the reality was. He he was really poor and injury. Mm, I'm not entirely sure that Abida. He was just devoid of pace, confidence, and also his positional sense seems off. Clearly, he's he's you know he's in his thirties. His legs probably begin to fade a bit, but for a centre half, that shouldn't be too much of a problem. They especially normally work what, it out. Yeah, yeah, especially one with his sense of tactical sense. But he's he's doing nothing well at the moment. No, and well, Klopp did say, Jay, didn't he, that it was a hamstring problem. But he did sort of finish the answer by saying he was feeling the intensity of the game, which is a bit of an odd thing to say about someone who's who's injured, maybe. Um, what did you make of his performance watching him? Yeah, as you kind of said, it did feel like Klopp was trying to, to cover for him in the post-match press conference, but it was mm. a little bit of muddled messaging talking about how Virgil felt something and the physios said, you know, it's all fine. He can continue playing if he wants to, but but took him off anyways. I That's meant- not like him either, is it? You'd no, normally expect not. a character like him to just get on with it, it's basically. I mentioned earlier there was a point in the first half where Mbumo breezed past Van Dijk and went one-on-one with Alisson and Alisson made a great save. And I, I sat there thinking, I can tell you the last time I've personally seen Van Dijk get run past so easily, um, completely out of position. Um, and that was kind of the the worrying sign that in this Liverpool team over the last few years, Van Dijk's always been the bastion of that back line. He was always the the impenetrable one. But the fact it felt like he was the one Brentford targeting last night kind of says a lot about how his form's just not been what it was. Do, do you think as well, there's a little bit of coming back from the World Cup and the disappointment they had, the way they got knocked out. I mean, we've been speculating about the impact of this Winter World Cup on players, both who went there and those who you know who didn't. For, for weeks and weeks, and it could go either way. But he, he wasn't great before the World Cup, but he's come back and he's taken a dip. I wonder whether the the disappointment in Qatar, the psychological pressure of the, the, the World Cup at all, caught up with him. And, I mean, I think we'll see a lot of players who'll need a break before the one's due, you know, before May. But he does look like a, a, like a centre-earth who needs two or three weeks off. I was going to say, am I right in thinking that the World Cup was Van Dijk's first major international tournament as well? Yeah. And he was obviously kind of carrying the weight on his shoulders, being the captain, and there was a lot of 
emotional stuff with um, it being Louis van Gaal's final tournament. Um, and I was out there and I was at the game where they got knocked out. And it wouldn't surprise me if it took a little bit of time to to kind of get over that because it was such a chaotic way to go. And it was quite, I mean, I, I find it funny looking back on it. But if you if you if you were a member of the Netherlands squad to kind of get mocked by Argentina at the end on penalties in the manner that which they did and kind of Messi going up to, to Van Gaal and Edgar Davids and all that kind of stuff. That's quite messy to unpick and then, you know, two weeks later say, right now you've got to go and perform and, and go back to usual and, and try and help this Liverpool team that's a little bit out of sorts get back to what they usually are. So I think you've got a good point there. Yeah, it will be interesting, won't it, to see the fallout because because of the immediacy of it all, it's almost like maybe some players haven't quite realised what happened, haven't had a chance to really process what happened and and get through the actual emotion, the disappointment, the excitement, whatever it may be. It's going to be interesting to see some of the Argentina players reintegrated <laughs> as well when you've seen them parading around Buenos Aires. And I've seen more World Cup medals than I've ever seen, I think. Lissandro Martinez has been interviewed at, at Carrington at Manchester United yesterday with a medal round his neck. Uh, I was at Manchester City at the weekend when Julian Alvarez was paraded to the crowd before the game with a medal round his neck and then sat on the subs bench for the majority of the match, which which felt very strange. Anyway, let's move it on. Let's talk about January because already Liverpool have looked to find a solution to the problems in signing Cody Gagpo, which felt like a bit of a feather in the cap, didn't it? Beating some of the rivals to that signing as well for a, for a cut price deal as well, £37 million plus add-ons. Um, I'm just hoping he can play centre-half, central midfield and improve the attack, Tony, aren't you? Yeah, well, Ian, you know, we've got to the point where beating Manchester United in anything isn't that big a deal. It's, uh, <laughs> Fair no, point. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, clearly, they've got a player who... One of the things that concerns me is the, 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 the traditional sort of tropes of football that, you know, always are said to you, don't buy in January... And don't buy after a tournament someone who's had a good tournament because you know you might well get a bus. You've got to think longer and harder. But to be fair, they've been tracking they've been tracking them for a long while, and so they know what they're getting. Now you think to yourself, essentially a left sided attacker, a left winger, um, is he the answer to Liverpool's problems? No, but he might with you know with the long term injuries to like Diaz and mm. and that sort of thing. He certainly give them. Uh, 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 new options up front, and and the thing is as well with Diaz, he came a year ago and he, he he was excellent. He had a really good impact, but the dynamic between him and Andy Robertson never quite worked the same as um, Mane and Robertson. You know, they, I, th- I thought it was interesting in the Champions League final. The um, you, know, you know Ancelotti, as we all know, is a great fella and a wonderful coach, but he's not the most tactically minded sort of manager but what he did is he give Liverpool the left he said you have the ball over there he let Robertson and he let Diaz have it and he flooded the right to stop uh, Alexander-Arnold and um, Salah so it's kind of people who've got you know Liverpool yeah you can come down the left if you want to we're not that bothered and so I kind of think that that if you know if, if if they bring a player who can actually bond and work with Robertson, then it, it will take the pressure off the midfield a little bit and take the pressure off the right. So we'll see if that works. He can also play across the you know the front line. So it'll be fascinating to see. And he's a very very you know he's a big unit. So we'll see if that's part of what Klopp's planning to do. I mean, clearly, I think everyone would like to see a midfielder. 
there's a long month ahead of us, and uh, and I think Liverpool, despite the noises coming from Anfield, will go back into the market. Yeah, lots of detail on the Athletic on that, updates on where Liverpool are up to. And also, of course, some of the targets that Liverpool have been linked with, like Fernandes, lots of information up on the Athletic at the moment. So take a look at that. How do you see the effect on Darwin Nunez as, as well, Tony, in terms of where Gagpo fits in? Because like you say, the most likely scenario is that he goes to the left, which you presume pushes uh, Nunez to the middle. There's also the option of maybe playing Cody Gagpo in the light Firmino role, uh, false nine, you know, number 10. Um, how do you see that sort of working for Nunez? Because he's having a tough time at the moment as well. He, he's doing everything right until he kicks the ball in the goal or not. Yeah, he, he creates an awful lot. But, you know, he, he can't score. And they knew this when he came in. They, I mean, they talked about um, not being able to buy finished product players, you know, like Haaland. And um, they knew that Nunez was a project and he would have growing pains. And he's had plenty of them. I actually think he's done better than most people uh, are saying. But, you know, there'd be nothing that putting a few goals in wouldn't solve but the one thing that Gakpo does is he scores he scores with ease he's a much better scorer so I think we might see him shifted inside uh, if things continue this way and then I think Yilhant Nunez will do some of his growing up on the bench yeah do you think that would help him yeah, I don't think it'll hurt him. Um, I think he needs he needs just a little bit. He needs nursing along. I think. I also think more coherent tactics from Liverpool would probably help him. It's um, I, you know, I, I think he's caught in a perfect storm of coming into a club where he needs to learn about one the tactics, two the physicality and pace of the Premier League, and find the team he's in not functioning in in a coherent manner. What impact do you see Gakpo having? Jay, I'm, I'm presuming you saw him when you were out in Qatar considering you just said you, you covered the yeah. Netherlands at times. Yeah, I was just going to say on Nunez, I, I I agree with you. I think he's getting a bit of a tough ride. Um, I'd be more concerned if he wasn't making the right runs and wasn't getting in the correct positions. But, okay, there was one chance towards the end of the game last night, which he snatched at really badly. But he's a little bit unlucky when he rounds Raya that, I mean, Ben Mee is a quality centre-back. He's arguably been Brentford's best player this year. Um, he just knew where to be at the right time. His his offside finish is, is pretty pretty special, I think, and mm. it's a really marginal offside. So in a, on another day, we're talking about a different scoreline and Nunez has a completely different impact. Um, with Gakpo, when you look at the, the prices that forwards and wingers go for in today's day and age, you know, Arsenal, amazing, isn't it? Arsenal obviously linked with Mudruk and you're talking about... 60, 70, 80 million euros and maybe even 100 million euros apparently. For Liverpool to get Gapo at 37 million pounds is is a ridiculous steal. Um, so although it might feel like you're just adding extra cherries onto a cake um, when maybe the sponge needs a little bit of work, <laughs> I, I do get it. Um, and yeah, just on Gapo, he's obviously very good off the left um, and, in, and you're not completely buying him just off a tournament because obviously he's done very well for PSV this year. But he played in a two quite a lot at the World Cup with um with Memphis Depay and was really good. And what I saw from him a lot was being very comfortable at doing those short, sharp one-twos and kind of bursting into space and running past the player. Um, but he was just very clinical. I think he scored from his first three shots on target at the World Cup. And look, players are not going to reproduce that all the time. But in those big moments when he needed to deliver, he did. So if the route that Liverpool need to go down is kind of Gakpo 
takes over centrally for a little bit of time and maybe Nunez comes off the bench and some of the pressure's taken off him, then that could work. Yeah, something needs to change for Darwin Nunez, no doubt at all, because he's he's missed 15 big chances so far in the Premier League this season, which is more than any other player. And it just seems like he, he may be feeling the pressure or trying too hard almost to score, because like we say, every aspect of his game uh, otherwise is, is pretty good. Um, it looks like Gakpo's going to get his debut against Wolves in the FA Cup, so that would be certainly an interesting um, aspect to keep an eye on in that FA Cup tie. Uh, Jurgen Klopp said after the game, Tony, that... He can't just splash Monopoly money uh, in January. You know, almost suggesting like that's not necessarily the solution to the problems. Uh, where do you see the truth in that? In that, do you think he's protecting maybe some of the issues off field, which we'll we'll get on to talking about a potential sale of Liverpool and so on, or, or do you think that's right? Actually, the players that they've got are good enough to sort out this situation at the moment. I think he knows that he needs help in the you know in the squad. He knows that the squad, as it stands now, is risking not qualifying for the Champions League. And they'll know about that in Boston as well. You know, John Henry is very, very astute. He's he, he's he's a clever man. You know, I've had quite a few dealings with him. And he, he's not daft. He knows that unless he invests or they invest now, uh, well, you know, the, the, there is a big risk. And potential buyers don't want to buy a club that's not in the Champions League. If they're in the Europa League, then the the price goes down. And there's not exactly a queue of buyers at the moment anyway. So so I think it's difficult. So I think they will look to reinforce. I mean, clearly, they don't want clubs knowing that they're coming with a big wad of money and pushing up the price. So they're going to try and do it um, that way. But yeah, I, I do foresee more signings. In midfield specifically? I would have thought so, yeah. I would have thought they need to find a midfielder because at the moment it's 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 got very, very stale. It's difficult in the sense that people have misunderstood largely what Liverpool's midfield do because they've never since Klopp arrived and well since the since the emergence of Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson, you know, the, the midfields were there not to get up and down the pitch and score goals, but to provide balance to 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 press. You know, they weren't a creative midfield. They were there to let other people create. And now, as as Liverpool are being stopped out wide, they're going to have to find some creativity and it's not working. So I think there needs to either be a big reset or they need to find players who can perform the roles that the likes of Wijnaldum did, that Jordan Henderson did even better than he's doing now because he's getting older. And, you know, and Fabinho is... He, another player who looks in a, a bit of a funk and maybe again has the, a World Cup problem. So they, they need to get some energy. They require some dynamism. But I, I, I posed this question earlier on on the Liverpool pods. Perhaps creative players aren't ripe for the Liverpool midfields. When you're trying to do clever things in the midfields, that's not what this the, the the midfield that won so many things. I mean, the, you know, obviously the best midfield was Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Fabinho. They weren't creative. In fact, they were destructive largely. And all of a sudden, you get Harvey Elliott in there, who's a naturally creative player. Oh, it's not working. What did you think of Harvey Elliott last night, Jay? He was another one of the subs at halftime, of course. I just think with with Liverpool's midfield situation, I think what confuses me the most, and this is not a dig, Alex. Oxley chambered in whatsoever. I mean, he scored last night and played pretty decent. But the fact that 
he is as injury prone as he is and he's kind of still at the club kind of sums up the situation that that midfield needs a refresh. Like Oxley Chamberlain's been been a great servant to the club over the years, but I think his time has has been and gone. But on Harvey Elliott, I, if I'm honest, I can't remember anything that he did in the game other than I think he got booked for taking out Rico Henry. Um, so I think he was kind of supposed to help out Trent um, towards the right in that first half. But I thought Rico Henry was phenomenal for 45 minutes. And certainly... I can remember more things Naby Keita did in his 45 minutes on the pitch than I can remember Harvey Elliott doing. I remember Keita coming on and progressing the ball quite well and dribbling forward. And I think he committed Christian Norgar to making a couple of tackles and catching him out of position. But Harvey Elliott, I just didn't see him do anything. Final point on the midfield, Tony. Uh, Jude Bellingham is a name that it seems that every single club, top club in Europe, is being linked with. There's lots of suggestions that Liverpool at the moment are at the front of that queue. Um that sort of underlines the importance, doesn't it, of having a good second half of this season, of getting into the Champions League again, because you don't want to make that decision for Jude any more difficult, really, do you? Well, exactly. I mean, often in these things, the, the, the things that bring players to clubs are trophies and wages. And there's, you know, very little else. I mean, you get the occasional boy hub fan who goes and lives the dream. But the reality is, uh, Jude's got good advisors who will. It will point them in the right direction. Liverpool need to be in the position to win trophies because they can't match the wages of some of the other clubs involved, particularly City, particularly Real Madrid. And so they need to offer him something. Uh, if they can't, then he'll go elsewhere. And I must say, I'm a little bit sceptical, despite the loving with Jordan Henderson, I'm a little bit sceptical that he'll end up at Anfield. Let's talk about Brentford if we can, Jay. We do need to show the team that you cover a little bit of love because you mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but they just seem to be able to do this time after time against the top teams. I mean, you and I were both at the Etihad Stadium for the win over City before the international break. And then to do this as well, they've just drawn with Spurs. Um, Seven points off Liverpool, Spurs and City in the last few matches is amazing, isn't it? 10 points when you throw in um, West Ham away as well. Um, I just still can't quite get my head around the fact that just before the World Cup, before that Man City game, Brentford were knocked out of the Carabao Cup by Gillingham. Um, They were on a bit of a a bad run of form. Um, They they got hammered away by Aston Villa and Newcastle, conceded like a really late equaliser against Nottingham Forest. Um, And ever since then, ever since that City game, they've just been simply... Phenomenal. I'm not really too sure what's happened. Um, I think one aspect of it is that Ivan Tony has really just, he's gone to another level this year. Um, he's already scored 12 goals in the Premier League, which is the exact same total as last season. I think he scored less penalties this year as well. So he's just showing that extra clinical edge in front of goal. I was kind of asking Thomas Frank yesterday about Mads Rursliff, who's their right wing back, who tends to only really play when Brentford are coming up against the top six side and they switch to a back three. Um, so he'll play at right wing back. And I said, Rurst has come on massively in the last few months. Like, Why do you think that is? And Thomas Frank basically said, I just think these players have been in the Premier League for 18 months now. Like They're not newcomers to it anymore. I think they've actually just growing in confidence and getting better and better. You look at the, the depth of their squad, it's way better than it was a year ago. Um, Josh De Silva's, I think, a fantastic footballer. He's had his injury troubles. Um, but he's a really good option to bring off the bench. I do think that Christian Norgard is one of the the best CDMs in the in the Premier League. I think he I think he's criminally 
underrated. Um, he was exceptional again last night. Um, Matthias Jensen's gone to another level this season. I think David Rea is no longer a secret that he is, again, one of the best goalkeepers in the league. He's only got 18 months left on his contract, so Brentford need to, to sort that out as quickly as possible. I just think the way Brentford approached not just the Premier League, but their time in the Championship was so clever. They were always kind of focusing on buying those 22, 23, 24-year-old players who would kind of grow into their peak years. And if you look at their, their squad, that's what we're seeing. Um, but then they're clever enough to get players like Ben Mee and Zanka, who have shown that they can be really important role players to the team as well. I said it earlier, but Ben Mee's been phenomenal. I didn't, I don't mean this to be rude to Ben Mee, but I didn't quite realise how good he was. I just kind of had this association of him being a very classic rugged defender at Burnley, which he is. But he's actually shown himself to be really comfortable on the ball at Brentford as well. Um, so I think there's loads of different reasons for it, but it's just good planning. It's a club that's always had like a clear strategy. Um, I think Thomas Frank's surrounded himself really, really good coaching staff as well. And he's never been afraid to make bold changes in a game. Um, I remember at the Etihad, the, when they were one all with Man City, he brought on Josh De Silva with 10 minutes to go. And I, and, and I made a mental note that this is a big moment in the game because any other team at that moment away at City probably holds on for a point. But that was Thomas Frank's way of saying, I'm going for the win here. And what happens? De Silva gets the assist for Tony's winner. So there's a combination of different factors. But whenever Brentford come up against top six sides, especially at home, I think what always stands out is that they're never, never scared. Yeah, the remarkable thing about last night was that Ivan Tony was injured as well, wasn't it? When yeah. Brentford have been at their best in the Premier League, it's usually had Tony's fingerprints all over it. And obviously last night it was without him. Four points off the top four as we record this. Um, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was obviously getting a lot of fans asking me about this last night. Um, and I'm just, maybe just... I don't know. I'm not a complete hopeless romantic, so I very much want to stay as level-headed as possible. A top-half finish would be phenomenal, and I think that should be the aim. Um, you look at the teams that Brentford are above of at the moment, Chelsea are one of them, and Aston Villa are obviously kind of improving under Emery, and you wouldn't be surprised if they splashed the cash in, in January as well. So I think Europe... <sighs> If, if Brentford got into Europe this season, it would be an unbelievable achievement. Probably one of the best t things a team's ever achieved in the Premier League when you look at the, the budget and where they've come from. But it's probably a step too far. But for them to finish in the top 10 would be a remarkable achievement in, in, in itself. And I think they're, they're, they're well within, or rather they've got a very good chance of doing that at the moment. I would love to see them get in the Champions League. That'd be brilliant. I would and, I would love to see them in the Champions know, and, League. And the thing is, <laughs> this is going to be the weirdest season in, well... I, I can't think of any They've all been situation. weird lately, Tony, haven't they? Well, they have been weird, yeah, yeah. But no, th th this one with the World Cup in the middle has got to be weird. And the, the thing is, I've had quite a few dealings with Matthew Benham, the owner of Brentford over the years. And there's a very, very clear-sighted strategy. Sometimes it's a little bit too clear-sighted. I mean, a few years back, one of the managers there was telling me they were 2-0 up at half-time and got a text from you know the, the, the analytics staff and saying, we're playing really badly. We, we should be 2-0 down. I have to do better in the second half. And I was like, <laughs> hang on, hang on. But th th there is a clear-sightedness, both in recruitment and the managers they employ and, and the way the team's set up. That shames a lot of sides in the Premier League. And um, and I, I think it's fantastic to see them rewarded. 
dealing dealings with John Henry and Matthew Benham. I need to start hanging out with you more. You're you're rolling with all the heavy hitters. Well, I was football editor at the Times, and that oh, of course. Like, that like um, you know, it, it opens doors. It, it, yeah, it does. And then, and then then when you stop being football editor at the Times, none of them will take your calls. <laughs> not quite true. Not quite true. Okay, well, if you want to read Jay's take on Brentford's victory over Liverpool last night, it's on The Athletic right now. But we're going to take a quick break, and after it, I'm sorry, Liverpool fans, but there's more uncertainty off the pitch to discuss at Anfield. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When I watch Liverpool now, and certainly in midfield, it feels like Jurgen Klopp's team is morphing into something else, a technical team. The only team that it reminds me of is when I used to play against Arsenal under Arsene Wenger. And yet they were a great footballing team, but their actual pace and physicality teams couldn't cope with. And then that team morphed into something really technical. And it, it never won again. Now, I don't know if there's an influence from Pep Linders, who's Jürgen Klopp's number two, has a huge say in what goes on as well. Maybe a Dutch way of thinking, getting players on the ball. I don't know, or thinking Liverpool need to not reinvent themselves, but always keep tweaking things and changing things because maybe people are used to them. But for me, from minute one of Jürgen Klopp's era against Tottenham away, Forget the quality of players. People were sprinting all over the pitch and they just like, whoo, you couldn't not jump okay. out. When I don't see Liverpool now sprinting and closing people down, but they're still playing with this high line, it's like, it's not a Liverpool team. It's not a Jürgen Klopp team. Okay, Tony, where are we up to then? Liverpool for sale. Um, how close are we to that sale? Uh, well, from the people I talk to, I don't see anything on the immediate horizon. I don't think they've had the interest they anticipated. And I think Manchester United coming on the market as well has confused things. Let's face it, there are very few people in this economic environment who can afford to buy a football club. And and certainly, um, 
you, you know, I think the most likely uh, investors are American venture capitalists, and you move from one set of venture capitalists to another. Fenway Sports Group have been pretty benign owners. I'd be concerned about the next ownership. I mean, I've, I've lurked around quite a few Liverpool takeovers over the years, and some of the um, some of the people who've, who were sniffing around the club were, fr- frankly, frightening. Um, one one particular consortium with a with a record in sports wanted. 35% return per annum. And, you know, that's that's not going to work for anyone. Uh, so and the one thing about Henry is he always said that he was conscious of his legacy. He didn't want... He wanted Liverpool in safe hands. He didn't want to be hated after he left. So I'll take him out his word on that. But, um, but he's having troubles in, in Boston as well, wasn't he? This week he was booed at the, um, the the Hockey Winter Classic game at Fenway Park because the way he's handling the Red Sox. So he's under an awful lot of pressure on both sides. I don't see a sale coming very quickly. How much is the uncertainty hurting the team? Oh, quite a lot. I mean, because you, one of the things about the recruitment was that uh, Jurgen Klopp, Mike Gordon, one of the owners, and Michael Edwards were a very, very tight units, and it worked really well with them. But Edwards has left now, and Gordon is trying to find buyers for the club. So suddenly, the whole recruitment system has changed. So that's it. And, we, and we've, we're seeing people leaving, you know, um, uh, you know, I think it, it's 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 had a big effect. And just talking to people at the club, they're a bit like, mm, I wonder what's happening next. There's just that underlying nervousness, concern. And I think it's destabilized everyone. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned it there, but Julian Ward as well stepping yeah. down seemed to surprise everyone, didn't he? Uh, when that's going to happen at the end of this season, because Sydney's new to the role pretty much as well. So it's, it's just a fundamental shift for Liverpool. I mean, the form on the pitch, the uncertainty of it, you know, it's an end of an era in a sense, which has been been brilliant for the club. Well, definitely. And, and it, puts, it puts the pressure for recruitment more on Klopp than... They've moved from being the American model of which what Fenway wanted to more like the traditional British one with Klopp being the, the, the manager dictator you know sort of thing and we've seen what happens in situations like that where too much power is put on one person in the modern game we saw it at United we saw it at Arsenal with Wenger I don't think it's helping Klopp with with, with this happening so yeah it, it massive uncertainty it feels weird to ask this actually and Jay I'll get your take on this in a moment but are there any questions about Jurgen Klopp's future at all? I, no, I mean, the, the one thing, Fenway love him. But I think the biggest question would be if, for example, a nation-state buyer like um, Newcastle or like City come in and put Klopp in the position where he had to he had to be in charge of an organisation which had become everything he's criticised in the past. And he's, he's a man who has strong, strong convictions. And I think that would make him question whether he'd want to be there. I think that's the... I, I, I Certainly, Fenway absolutely love him. And he's, and I think, apart from a, a small nutcase 
part of the fan base. Everyone else wants him to stay for as long as he possibly can. But I think, like everyone, there are huge there's huge uncertainty about his future as much as anyone at the club. Liverpool without Klopp is unthinkable, though, Jay, isn't it? He's almost become Liverpool during his time there, hasn't he? I, if I was a Liverpool fan, I certainly wouldn't want him to leave. And look, all managers and all teams go through ups and downs, but I think Klopp has constantly shown time and time again that he can reinvent the reinvent the team and, and, and get things going. And having to survive through such a fundamental shift in the way the club operates must be so difficult. As you said, Michael Edwards has left, Julian Ward is stepping down, trying to keep a hand on the tiller and steady the ship when you've got to deal with that, you've got to deal with what's going on on the pitch as well. Must be a really difficult thing to do. So what you'd like to believe is that when there's a little more clarity on whether a said is going to happen or not, um, when some of those positions of people who are leaving um, in the wider club has kind of sorted out, that there'll be just, things will kind of settle down a little bit. And then you also just hope, as we mentioned, Gakpo's coming in, hopefully they'll you know bring in another midfielder in January and that the results will slowly start to take care of themselves and then everything else becomes a little less of a distraction. What happens next, Tony? What happens next? Well, <laughs> I think they have to buy in January, have to buy a midfielder, and then it's no matter what happens, it's going to be a battle all the way to May. They need to finish in the top four. Finishing outside of it will be, I, I think, it will cause a very fraught summer. And um, but I think they will. I think they've got enough to finish in the, the the top four, just the way they are now, but with a little bit of injection of. Uh, a little bit of injection of mobility in the midfield. I think that they'll be all right, uh, but I think it's going to be a roller coaster, and um, I, I think we're in for we're in for a very hairy ride. Who 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 do you think they finish ahead of in the top four at the moment? Oh, if I had to put you on the spot, that's a killer question, Jay. <laughs> Tottenham. So what? Arsenal, City, maybe Newcastle, and then Liverpool or Man United, or well, I think Newcastle are in a fantastic position to to. Um, and I, I tell you what, that the fact that Newcastle are in this position without a massive spending spree of Saudi money is spreading terror around the boardrooms of the Premier League and certainly in the boardrooms of the so-called Big Six except in City um, and so yeah I think Liverpool I, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be Arsenal and Arsenal brilliantly positioned to win the league now I still think we, we, there are questions about their fortitude that we'll, we'll they're going to be tested in the coming months and City will come back at them Without a doubt. I think Newcastle, if they keep the nerve, they'll be fine. And I think Liverpool then. Jay, thank you so much for being with us. Tony, brilliant to have you on board as well. Remember, you can listen to Tony and his Liverpool friends, of course, on the new athletic podcast, Walk On. Um, The new one is out, well, probably now, in fairness, by the time uh, this podcast is reaching your ears. So go and check that out. And remember as well, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1.99 a month at the moment. That's for the first 12 months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll be back with another episode for you tomorrow afternoon. So make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts and that notification will pop up as soon as it drops. But for the minute, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.